guest speaker, Professor Richard Poe, ladies and gentlemen, colleagues and friends. On behalf of the Institute for Palestine Studies, its Board of Trustees, management and staff, I am privileged to welcome you all to the annual Constantine's Ray Lecture, one of the most prestigious public lectures organized by the Institute for Palestine Studies. At this point, I would like to invite Mr. Basil Ha'in, the Vice Chairman of the IPS Board of Trustees, to chair this lecture and introduce our prominent key speaker, Professor Richard Falk. Thank you all for coming. Excellences, ladies and gentlemen, good evening to you all. Gives me great pleasure to welcome you on behalf of the Institute for Palestine Studies to the annual Constantine Zurek Lecture to be delivered this year by our distinguished guest speaker, Dr. Richard Falk, who is the special rapporteur on occupied Palestine for the United Nations Human Rights Council. The annual Constantine Zurich Lecture is organized by the Institute for Palestine Studies in memory of one of its co-founders and former chairman of the Board of Trustees and its honorary president until he passed away in the year 2000. Dr. Zurich a graduate of Chicago, Princeton, and Michigan universities, was a prominent Arab historian, educationalist, and visionary. He was one of the first pioneer, he was one of the first to pioneer and express the importance of Arab nationalism. He stressed the urgent need to transform stagnant Arab society by means of rational thought and radical modification of the methods of thinking and acting. Dr. Zurich served as first Syrian minister plenipotentiary to the United States, vice president of the American University of Beirut, distinguished professor of Arab history at AUB, president of the University of Damascus, and President of the World Confederation of University Presidents. He had a lifelong interest in the Palestine problem and his writings on historical and contemporary affairs have inspired generations of Arabs. Moving to another equally distinguished and prominent personality, Dr. Richard Falk, our guest speaker, needs no introduction. He is Professor Emeritus of International Law and Practice at Princeton University and visiting distinguished professor of Global and International Studies at the University of California at Santa Barbara. He serves as the chair of the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation. Professor Folk is a recipient of the UNESCO Peace Education Prize and is the author, co-author, or editor of more than 40 books on international law and the law of war. In the year 2008, the United Nations Human Rights Council 
appointed Dr. Fong to a six-year term as a UN Special Rapporteur on the situation of human rights in the Palestinian territories occupied since 1967. Some of his official reports were criticized by Israeli officials. He was expelled by Israel on December 14, 2008, when he tried to carry out a UN mission to examine conditions in the West Bank and <coughs> Jerusalem and was detained for some hours in a prison located near the Ben-Gurion airport. The Obama administration criticized Dr. Fawkes call for a boycott of private companies that are profiting from the Israeli settlement enterprise. Suzanne Rice, the US permanent representative to the UN, in a statement called Dr. Folk, Folk's boycott, call irresponsible and unacceptable. As recently as three days ago, American Jewish organizations called for Dr. Richard Falk of the United Nations to step down following comments he made suggesting that United States and Israeli policies were responsible for the Boston Marathon explosions. In an article on the Foreign Policy Journal website, Dr. Falk said that the Boston Marathon explosions were retribution for the actions of the U.S. military in the Middle East. Dr. Falk also blamed Israel for the attack, saying, and I quote, as long as Tel Aviv has the compliant ear of the American political establishment, those who wish for peace and justice in the world should not rest easy, unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, as you are most probably aware, the Palestinian-Israeli peace process is almost defunct. The chances of a two-state solution are dwindling. The new government of settlers under Netanyahu is impervious to any outside pressure, being American or European. The number of Israeli settlers on the West Bank has risen to over half a million, could be almost 600,000, with almost half of them being settled in East Jerusalem. The Arab character of East Jerusalem is being systematically obliterated. Israel today owns 87% of the two parts of Jerusalem, while the Arabs own only 13%, it being the land on which their homes are built. The Jewishness of the Israeli state has become a declared policy, not only in Tel Aviv, but also in Washington. In a nutshell, the Palestinian Arabs have satisfied themselves with 22% of historical mandatory Palestine where they owned most of the land and constituted the majority of the population. However, the Israelis are not content with 88% of Palestine and are challenging the Palestinians politically, 
militarily and physically over the remaining 22%. Under these circumstances, Dr. Folk has chosen a topical topic this evening, which is rethinking the future of Palestine beyond the two states' consensus. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Richard Falk. Excellencies, uh, friends, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for that uh, very uh, probing introduction. You almost covered the subject in such a complete way that I have little to add. Uh, when I uh, thought about my title, which I inflicted upon myself, uh, I realized that I was being somewhat presumptuous. It is, of course, up to the Palestinians to think about the future of Palestine. And for too long, Palestine has suffered as a result of outsiders deciding what their future should be. And I want to emphasize that ever since, really, the Balfour Declaration in 1917, the tragedy of Palestine has been the absence of their, of the capacity to control their own destiny. And that absence continues to be a fundamental feature of why one is uh, discouraged about the uh, future at this time. And what, it raises the question that is quite closely related to this, which is who does speak authoritatively for the Palestinians at this moment of history? And one of the uh, difficulties in uh, approaching this uh, topic is the absence of authoritative, unified, and uh, inclusive leadership. Uh, and I think that uh, it is important in uh, hoping for a better future that this deficiency in terms of representation uh, be overcome. I'm very happy to be back in Beirut after not being here for over 30 years. My last visit was in the midst of the 1982 war when I was a member of the McBride Commission that was trying to inquire into human rights violations associated with the Israeli invasion at that time. And it occurs to me that in thinking about this 30-year interval, uh, much has changed and much has stayed the same. Uh, and both uh, warrant, I think, uh, serious consideration. Uh, what has uh, remained the same has been the fundamental plight of 
the Palestinian people. And uh, the uh, difficulties that have been extended in time, not only for those that are victims of prolonged occupation, but those who are refugees in neighboring countries, uh, and those who are uh, subject to uh, collective punishment in uh, Gaza. All of these uh, categories of the Palestinian people have not been able to, in this very long period, have not been able to emancipate themselves from uh, conditions of severe deprivation. And in many ways, uh, the situation of the Palestinians has deteriorated in these 30 years, while the situation internally, at least, of Israel has improved. Uh, and that, uh, uh, that, I think, requires some uh, commentary. Uh, if we think about the fact that the settler population has almost tripled in this 30-year uh, interval, that the separation wall has been built uh, deep in uh, occupied Palestine, uh, that the collective punishment of the people of uh, Gaza has continued uh, since uh, 2007. And there has been, as uh, uh, Mr. Axel uh, suggested, uh, a considerable ethnic cleansing going on in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem. Also, the dynamics of the settlement process have led to what is best understood to be creeping annexation of uh, some of the most valuable land on the West Bank. And this has uh, certainly encroached upon the conventional vision of Palestinian self-determination uh, as occurring within the 1967 boundaries. Uh, in addition to this, these factors, uh, one of the most uh, uh, negative developments has been the steadily rightward drift of the Israeli governing leadership. Uh, it was hard to imagine that there would be further room on the right uh, until this latest cabinet uh, was appointed. But one uh, as the uh, well-respected Israeli uh, commentator Danielle Levy has pointed out, the Israeli leadership really ha only has three images of an acceptable outcome of the conflict. The, the first and seemingly now the prevailing one is uh, essentially annexationism of taking over uh, as much of the uh, West Bank as possible. 
the second image is a what one might call a Bantustan uh, vision of the future of Palestine, uh, which involves uh, sustaining uh, the settlement blocks and most of the settlements and leaving the remnant of this 22% of historic Palestine uh, for a non-viable uh, Palestinian state that would also not only be a Bantustan in territorial terms, but its sovereignty would be uh, severely restricted by having Israelis control of the airspace, of the borders, uh, even of the water resources. And the third image is to uh, live indefinitely with the present status quo. In other words, uh, neither, uh, uh, neither uh, claiming a permanent uh, solution, nor uh, trying to find uh, some way of accommodating uh, Palestinian uh, uh, goals. This uh, kind of status quo orientation is a way of deflecting international pressure while at the same time essentially maintaining the benefits of uh, controlling Jerusalem uh, and dominating the West Bank and denying uh, indefinitely Palestinian uh, uh, self-determination. Uh, the final uh, factor that I think has uh, uh, deteriorated uh, has been uh, the degree to which the capacity of outside elements, whether it's the United States or the UN or the EU or some combination of these elements to really uh, exert sufficient pressure on Israel uh, so that one of some fourth alternative beyond the three I mentioned uh, would be on the political agenda. And it isn't on the political agenda. There has, part of the reason that the status quo is acceptable to a large part of the Israeli elite is because of the absence of any uh, meaningful pressure to accommodate uh, what the uh, so-called roadmap and the Oslo framework uh, contemplated. In other words, that's essentially been abandoned as a, as a uh, mandatory uh, goal. And now it's put in terms of a voluntary aspiration that there's no real pressure uh, to uh, uh, satisfy. And in addition to all these factors, I think one can, uh, has to take note of this uh, increasing fragmentation of the Palestinian uh, political presence and, and the uh, failure of uh, 
incredible leadership to represent the Palestinian people as a whole. That's an uncomfortable thing to be saying, but I think it needs to be uh, grasped as part of the uh, present situation. And these factors that have worsened over this period uh, now interact with a very dangerous uh, regional uh, situation. The war in Syria is obviously a uh, terribly unpredictable in its uh, full implications. And the threat of a military attack and war with Iran cannot be disregarded. So there, uh, there is the risk that this entire region will be uh, converted into a kind of war zone if steps are not taken with some sense of urgency uh, to prevent these uh, dramatically bad developments from occurring. While emphasizing what has worked